Welcome to our backstory segment, our conversation about storytelling and the storyteller. <clears throat> and I'm here with our international storyteller, Judith Heinemann. Uh, Judith, it turns out you and I share that Chicago connection. I did my graduate work at the University of Chicago Divinity School. Right. And then at Meadville Theological School on the corner of 57th and Woodlawn. Mm -hmm. So we have the Hyde Park Southside uh, Association. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um, first things first, uh, you've been telling stories for a while now. We'll skip over any discussion of age, at least as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but I did want to ask you, what led you into storytelling at the beginning? Uh, and what led you to stay with it? Ah, uh, well, um, so I was primarily in theater and doing theater and performance poetry. And I moved to Los Angeles and um, actually met Vicki many years ago, met Karen Golden. I met a whole lot of storytellers and they invited me to storytelling meetings, but I said, no, I, I don't do that. I don't do that. And I was doing theater. Um, but then I moved to Chicago and a friend had tickets to the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro and he couldn't use them. And I was very interested. I had heard a lot about it. So I, he gave me his tickets and I went down all by myself mm -hmm. and I was absolutely blown away. And I realized that the one woman shows I was doing could be tweaked into this storytelling genre. It was like it grabbed me around the throat. But also sitting in a little log cabin was a woman named Peg O'Sullivan, and she was wearing a little button that said, ask me about Telebration, and I did. And um, I was so excited about it that I had just moved to Chicago, and I said, oh, I have to produce this, because I was one of the co-founders of the Los Angeles Women's Theater Festival, the Poetry Performance Ensemble, so I felt I had a handle on producing. And she said, no, no, there's only six weeks. It's always the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and this is, you know, the beginning of October. I said, I can do this. So I called up my friends on both coasts, found out who the best storytellers were in the Midwest, found phenomenal people, and I put it on. And 200 people showed up that night. And out of that, we uh, developed the Chicago Storytelling Guild. And they both met for 20 years. I produced them for 20 years. And it was just my exposure to other storytellers, having gone to Jonesboro and taking another slice of story really just captured my imagination. And I have been doing it ever since, since 1996 as a pure storyteller, although I still do um, some poetry and some theater and so on, but mostly storytelling. So um, it was that fortuitous meeting really with Peg that um, really brought me into this world. Wow. On your website, Judith, you mentioned that you were looking for a musician who could play early music for a newly commissioned show by the Oriental Institute Museum at the University of Chicago, quote, unquote. Right. And as mentioned, having lived in Hyde Park, I'm slightly familiar with the Institute. And your search sounds like it was for a very teeny, tiny, small niche. And you found your lute player in Dan Marcotte. Am I saying that right? Exactly. So I imagine therein lies a tale. Well, when I was, um, it's amazing how these things work out. When I was holding the guild meetings, Dan wandered in just at the time when I was looking for a musician uh, who could play the lute or 
you know, and he was a rena- he was, he's young enough to be my son. And um, he was extremely talented and he's a bard. And he was the musical director of the Renaissance Fair on the Illinois-Wisconsin border. And he was young and he was just looking for something like this to Troubadour. And he really knew his master's thesis was on the Uphugh manuscript, a Welsh manuscript. Um, and we, we had so much in common. Uh, we did Taliesin together. And then with um, this Mesopotamian Egyptian um, commission. Uh, We wrote a grant and we worked on it for a year. I introduced him to the education director, uh, who was Carol Krukoff at the University of Chicago's uh, Oriental Institute. And he had to be interviewed and show that he knew what he was doing. And she approved. And she um, coached us. And we did tons and tons of research for an entire year, got a little Arts Council grant and developed a show called The Magic Carpet, Songs and Stories, from Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt. And if I can put in a plug, um, we have an award-winning CD of that. Um, and she insisted that we wear costumes. So I look like Cleopatra and you can probably find it online. And then Dan and I just started developing other programs together and we performed together for 16 years as Illinois Humanities Council Road Scholars, R-O-A-D, because we went on the road. We even went to England together and our specialty is telling the grimmest of the grim tales. And in fact, as part of NSN's Haunted Halloween Weekend, they are going to be showing a video of us doing the juniper tree where he's accompanying me on Renaissance lute, but he's a magnificent lyricist and he created bloody choruses, original bloody choruses for the juniper tree and other bloody wonderful grim tales. So this was shot in 2016, but it was accepted. And if people tune in, I think it's the weekend of October 22nd and 23rd, you'll kind of see us in action. Very cool. To switch gears a little bit, at True Tales Live, we focus on first-person storytelling, but as we're really discussing right now, storytelling is far bigger than first-person only telling, and you do both. You also, in a variety of ways, as you're saying, inhabit that larger sphere. So I wonder if you could tell us about the different approach you take to, say, fairy tales or fables or mythology versus first-person storytelling and how you sort of navigate those different forms? Well, what's interesting is that, you know, with the moth and with, um, the moth seems to attract a much younger demographic than um, many of us who did tell traditional world tales. Um, And I embrace it, I embrace it. And I've always, I actually even teach a, a workshop called Beyond the Fairy Tale or the Folk Tale, where I often incorporate a personal frame tale where I have a personal story that kind of leads into the traditional tale and then bring it back to a personal story. So to me, these folk tales are really aspects of personal stories. And um, I love telling personal stories. I cannibalize my husband's life and the family <laughs> and other people. And, you know, I do get permission, you know, to, to tell these stories. And I love telling personal stories, but I also have great joy in, you know, making people jump and uh, telling, you know, scary stories. And, you know, even though Vicky's is a really wonderful, scary story, um, that I, I kind of see the world has a space for both of them. And I like to hybridize them uh, as well. Well, that leads right to my next question. Um, when you or you and Dan are working on a project, 
do you approach them differently depending on the nature of the project or you pretty much take the same kind of approach to the no, project development? No, and, and sadly, I've been living in New York now for the past three years, pretty much sheltering under COVID. So, and he has, and, you know, so we haven't actually physically ah. been working together for the last ah, several okay. years, but the process was really interesting because he's a musician primarily and I'm a storyteller primarily. And I really don't have great musical ability, even though I played the violin for eight years, but um, so I have a sense of music. And I've always worked with a musician. I've told poetry in cafes with improvisational music going on with me. So Dan can just go off. I'll say, Dan, you know, I need a bloody chorus or a song in the middle of the real Sleeping Beauty. And he goes away. And an hour later, he comes back with this song. But then we do have a, and he has a, a somewhat of a theater background as well. So we just go over things. It's a real nice synergy. Um, you know, he may come at it this way. I may come at it that way. But when we create the pieces, we really create them together. You know, we're, um, we might even say a word together or somehow, you know, I want his input also. I'd like him to say some of the words within the, the story as well, not only the song. So um it's it's an interesting sort of symbiosis, I would say. Not exactly the same, but we certainly were on each other's wavelengths. Well, it fits with something that I've thought for a long time, <clears throat> and that is that storytelling and um, poetry, especially narrative poetry, and music, and particularly the lyrics of music, they're really different forms of storytelling there, but they're all connected. There's, I think, I mean, when you think about music and, and you think, and you were saying this a little bit earlier, I think, or someone was, um, it all has to do with rhythm in a way. Mm. And that rhythm somehow connects us to one another and to the work we're doing. Well, you know, in the Bardic tradition, there was no distinction. It was sung epics and it was right. stories and music and music and stories. So they were really one in the same, they were inseparable. And we, part of my um, feeling is I'd love to bring it back. So even in celebration and whatever storytelling festivals I produced, it was always a storytelling and music festival. And I always encouraged musicians to come. And if they could talk a little bit about the background of the story or how, of the song rather, and how that came to be, that, backstory was essential in context and understanding and more resonance. So there was an ancient time when it was inseparable. And I, I think true. it's certainly, um, there are some wonderful storytellers who will sing maybe an Irish ballad and then they go into a personal story or an Irish story and it's quite beautiful. And narrative poetry is part of that. Mm -hmm. The Epic of Gilgamesh, we used to tell that too. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Well, we're beginning to get come towards the end of our conversation. I do have one last question. A key aspect of our mission, as I think you know, is to encourage new tellers. Chris had mentioned that. So I would ask you, what advice do you offer new or almost new tellers, or for that matter, experienced tellers? What are your favorite tips and tricks or thoughts? Well, as we all know, you have to tell a story you love. So my, and sometimes the search for that story goes on and on and on. When I taught classes and workshops, I would always tell 
the participants to read hundreds and hundreds of stories or what are the family stories and how do you carry on tradition and what are the stories you wind up sort of repeating or saying over and over again and everyone can tell a good story. It's just a matter of going it over it and over it and over it. And there are so many wonderful coaches and many opportunities. Um, I would just say, find a story you love and just tell it to anybody that you can corral and say, listen to my story. And the more you tell it uh, and more feedback, you're willing to listen uh, to feedback. Um, you can hope, I mean, look at the phenomenon of the moth. I mean, they originally just want untrained tellers, the person off the street. And then these people become addicted and highly skilled and they become celebrities like Nestor Gomez, um, who's a wonderful teller um, and a colleague of mine as well. He's won 23 moths now and he has many paid gigs and produces a festival. And so once you get the bug and tell the story, it's sort of addicting like chocolate. You can, um, I would just recommend, um, just tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it. And eventually the form will assert itself and you'll get that good beginning, that really interesting journey, a good middle and that really good end. And that's my key. Always have a very solid beginning and a very solid end. Even if you have to memorize those two parts of it and that'll bring you home. We do want to thank you for Drunk on Chocolate <laughs> and our backstory conversation. And this brings us, friends, to the end of our show. So thanks to our True Tales Live team, whose names appear in the scroll. A virtual round of applause for the True Tales Live team, please. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank oh, you. Thank and, you. And we, you, all of our tellers, wonderful tellers tonight. Uh, keep up to date with True Tales Live through our website, through our Facebook page, and our e-newsletter, True Tales Times, which you can sign up for on our website. As Amy mentioned, our next show is Tuesday, October 26th, on the theme of harbingers. Webster says, a person or thing that announces or signals the approach of another, a good theme for the month of Halloween. Our next workshop will be a week from today, October 5th, from 7 to 8, 30 p.m., and if you are considering telling a story we encourage you to attend a workshop. The Zoom sign-up is on our website, as Amy mentioned. Edited by John Lovering, tonight's show will be posted on PPMTV's YouTube channel and broadcast on PPMTV in Portsmouth on Channel 98. Tell your friends to look for it. And that is it for tonight's show. As Joan Didion notes in her wonderful collection of essays entitled The White Album, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. And that's the work, isn't it? That's the mission. Thanks to our tellers, our crew, and all of you. My name is David Frainer. Good night. Mm -hmm.